and welcome once again to the Harry Potter Book Club. I'm Trevor. I'm Alex. I'm Vera. I'm Sylvia. I'm Crystal. I'm Matt. This week we hit Chapter 5, The Whomping Willow, in Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. But before we begin, I just want to remind you that you can always get in touch with us at our email address. It's hpbcfanmail at gmail.com. Or you can talk to us or follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Our handle is at hpbcpodcast. We all always love to hear from listeners, and if you have a question, we may even feature that on an upcoming broadcast. So, to kick off our discussion of Chapter 5 of Chamber of Secrets, I'm going to toss it over Vera's way. So, we begin this chapter where we left the last one. We're at the burrow with the Weasleys. And I just, I really loved, like, their last um, sort of hurrah at the Weasleys. I thought it was such a sweet um, sort of time. Mrs. Weasley makes, it says, she conjured up a sumptuous dinner that included all of Harry's favorite things, ending with a mouth-watering treacle pudding, and then Fred and George set off fireworks in the house, and they have, they all have a last mug of hot chocolate and then bed. And I just thought it was such a sweet, like, homey celebration. Yes, although fireworks for 20 minutes, 30 30 minutes... Sounds like a lot, especially if they're going to be exploding in your kitchen. You know, it's not like they're a gentle distance, a couple hundred feet I don't feet think in the that sky. these explode, though. I think it's like they have this big show and then they just last for a long time. Because if you remember in like book five, I think when Fred and George set off a bunch of fireworks, their own fireworks at that point, but they just keep going in the sky, but it, we don't get the impression what? that they make a lot of noise. It just they says just, they bounce off the wall. Yeah, they just kind of fizzle around yeah. the castle. The red and blue stars just bouncing around everywhere. Yeah, so I don't right. think they're making a lot of noise. Um, also, with this, I mean, uh, the first sentence of the chapter is, the end of the summer vacation came too quickly for Harry's liking, which, I mean, I know we've talked about this pretty exhaustively, but... Uh, you know, Harry is always looking forward to school starting, which is something that generally kids do not wish for. Um, they're always, you know, ready for, for summer break, and they're wanting it to last for as long as possible. But, of, of course, we all know why Harry wants summer break to end and school to begin. But, I mean, this is just something that, you know, Harry's waiting for uh, summer vacation to end. But th- not not now. I mean, he's kind of now got an adopted family, Mm. and uh, Harry even says that he could not help but feel jealous, you know, of Ron, and and we know, I mean, we've talked about in uh, in even uh, the previous book that Ron is also jealous of Harry, Mm -hmm. you know, particularly with his fame, Um, and just, it, it just, for me, just this short little section, even in the beginning, just showed me, or just reminded me, you know, kind of how, you know, people are insecure especially in your teenage years you're jealous of you know i mean what others have i mean or at least you perceive what they have i don't know if anybody else felt that but i I enjoyed that first section i've never experienced envy (laughs) what it must be like (laughs) no but that thank you for sharing that about i'm just (laughs) yeah no it is interesting because he does he experiences a very childish sensation a very childish emotion for the first time because mm-hmm. he's been operating on the opposite so that's yeah that's really helpful i'm curious alex if you would enlighten us what is treacle for our american listeners we are not familiar with this but we know that 
or we've at least heard in a lot of British cuisine, treacle is is constantly talked about. Crystal, just, I think, actually has an excellent do you, answer I mean, ready. I just think it's like molasses. I've looked it up. Yeah, it's similar. It's, it's like really thick molasses. Although, with regards to pudding, a lot of American listeners might be confused and think of this as some kind of soupy, gelatinous Yeah, pudding is any mess, kind of dessert. But much. that is not the case. Generally speaking, yeah, well, generally speaking, it is a, well, um, it's like a cake in that it is usually baked or steamed um, in an oven um, mm. as opposed to and and it sorry and also generally speaking puddings um, are floured, whereas like you might encounter you know uh, if you had a banana pudding in the United States the the pudding part is generally is is not the cookies that are added the vanilla wafers mm-hmm. or whatever it's the the creamy which is much more like what the British might identify as a custard not a, mm-hmm. a not the pudding. Well, did anybody else think that when they were getting ready the next morning, you know, they had that last night there, but then the next morning they're rushing around and they're getting dressed and colliding on the stairs, packing things. Did anyone else think that that was weird, especially since it's a bunch of wizards and witches that have magic and can do that themselves, you know, by just sat and things. The one time I did feel like that was when Mr. Weasley nearly broke his neck tripping over a stray chicken as he crossed the yard carrying Ginny's trunk to the car. Yeah. And I was like, use magic, Arthur. (laughs) Why are you carrying a trunk at all? Why do you have loose chickens (laughs) when you have chickens and you could magically create a barrier for them to stay in? I don't know. Sorry. Um, I agree. This this problem can be solved in a variety of ways. With the use of some magic that we clearly see in other parts of the but book. But I think in general, just the chaos and the there's just so many people <laughs> wandering. It just felt like a big family trying to get anything done. But the the end of a school, I mean, the going to a boarding school like this, where you need to bring all your clothes and everything <laughs> else, and everything needs to be clean and ready and packed up, this doesn't just sneak up on you. So it does, I think, also show something about like the nature of Weasley family life. That, like, they're not really thinking too far ahead. That they're enjoying their time together and, yeah. and the moment. And then, wait, we we got to go. we got to go to school. we gotta, we got to get everything together. Oh, and it's it's uh, craziness and rushing. And, and they have to turn back three different times yes. to get things that were forgotten. One of those things is particularly interesting, mm-hmm. I think. It's, it's yeah, it's like Ginny shouted, oh, but but the conflict. I mean, the villain. I mean, the plot. I mean, my diary. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She almost left it at home. How different this school year would have been. (laughs) If only Arthur Weasley had put his foot down and said, Nope, Jenny, we aren't turning back again. Well, I mean, but think about how much more terror could have been wreaked if instead Tom Riddle had infected Molly and Arthur Weasley. Yeah, I don't see that happening. Nope. Yeah, but there there was for me a, a laugh out loud <laughs> moment even before that, when uh, Molly gets into the Ford Anglia and she's she's just amazed at how spacious it is on the inside. Muggles do know more than we give them credit for, don't they? <laughs> it's like, and the back seat is like a park bench, you know, or something like that. It's everybody's fit comfortably into this, you know, little coupe 
Right. Of I, a wonder, card. I wonder, though, like, is she pretending? Because she knows that Arthur has bewitched this car so that it can fly, and it has an invisibility booster, but she's like, oh, I guess this car just is roomier on the inside than it looks from the outside. Like, really, Molly? I mean, you know it's already been souped up with magic, so... Well... And why does it matter at this point? I mean, he said, Mr. Weasley says to Harry, like, not a word to Molly. She already knows you made the thing fly. Like, what? how is this worse than that? Well, I, I would say this is more complicated. I mean, the ability to fly is, like, something we see all the time. The ability to fit a larger space on the inside of a vehicle than on the outside of a vehicle is something that kind of breaks the rules of physics, you know? Like, planes fly all the time, birds fly, whatever else. We can make, you could, we can, we will probably in our lifetimes see a functioning flying car. I doubt we will see a car that is larger on the inside than the outside. I agree, but still, yet, like, how is this surprising to her? Also, like, they She's probably been in a wizard's yeah, the tent. tent. Exactly. Yeah, they have true. a tent that does that. that we <coughs> so don't Unless Molly goes in every bigger, time right? and says, My, mm-hmm. these tent makers do no more than we give them credit for. <laughs> Molly. Open <laughs> oh, your know. eyes, Molly. I just wondered if she's Stop just being so entertaining. Naive, you know, is she just entertaining Arthur here by pretending or something? What, what's interesting to me is that they're all crawling into a Ford Anglia to get to King's Cross Station. And surely not every wizarding family is traveling this way. They're they're traveling through other uh, conventional wizarding means. Or stagecoach, if you're the Malfoys, probably. Okay. <laughs> sure. Uh, why is there a, a discernible reason why the Weasleys traveled this way? Except for the fact that J.K. Rowling wants to introduce the Ford Anglia as a plot device into the events of this chapter well we know that they live like right by a muggle village like they're saying wasn't it audrey st catchpole is like a muggle hamlet and so like they they're not in a wizarding community like some of the other wizards might be and so i mean yeah i i'm not sure what the setup is at king's cross as far as like a flu, flu network yeah, or, right. or whatever else. But, you know, just having to leave with that many people, you're, they're not going to take brooms because it's broad daylight. Right. But and I can't so, imagine that other wizarding families in similar geographic positions <clears throat> are loading into muggle automobiles. Right. You know, you'd think yeah, that there I is think so, some sort of it does of seem like flu. kind of an anomaly that, that Arthur has this car. Mm-hmm. And... Yeah, I don't know. If they live in the greater London area, they probably just take the tube. Right, but Arthur is so, like, fascinated by the oh, subway later. Like, like wizard, wizards don't use it. Yeah. I mean, maybe some wizards do. But, yeah, I'm not sure. We don't get a, a lot... We don't get a glimpse into everybody else's transit to King's Cross. Yeah, it just... It seems like there's... There were other uh, more convenient, more reasonable wizarding means of transport... Uh, but it does get the Ford Anglia right. positioned for what happens next. Right. Don't they go by car <clears throat> pretty much every time? Yeah. The ministry sends a car. Yeah, the ministry provides a car. Oh, that's true. So it, it does seem like that's just what they do. And we don't know how they got there last year, right. book one, but I'm assuming a car. 
Yeah, I don't know. I so don't even know what when other people are doing. Even when they're not at the borough, I mean, when they're at Grimald Place, mm. even, they go by car. It is certainly an easy way to blend in. Well, it doesn't seem like there's a way to get onto Platform 9 and 3 quarters except by going through Muggle King's right, Cross. Right, right, right. Mm-hmm. So you have to get there by some sort of conventional Muggle means. Yeah. Mm. So even if it's just like the once a year that you take your kids to Hogwarts, you got to figure out the tube or Uber. take a taxi or something. Yeah, Uber. Uber, <laughs> Uber to King's Cross. And then the kid hands in their <laughs> cell phone and picks up their wand and... <laughs> Crosses through the platform. <laughs> well, so they get there and they get the King's Cross and they arrive late and obviously they've got to, to rush to get in there. But did anyone think it was weird that uh, the parents left? Yes. Mm-hmm. I mean, oh my gosh, totally yes. agree. Well, Only narratively a, convenient a, and exactly. not likely at all. Well, And yeah. I think that's what made me ask the question about driving the Ford Anglia, mm-hmm. is because on the next page, it's, we'll go, Harry and Ron, you you wait, you go last. Right. It's like, why? Well, why? that's convenient. You know, if, <laughs> yeah. if it goes any other configuration, then everybody's aware that something's going on yes. with the entrance to the platform. But not only is it that, but it's, Harry and Ron, let's go at the same time. Yeah. Because right. there's only one minute left. We don't want to be late. Okay, well. So we get both of them going right. and hitting the and wall crashing. rather than one of them you know, seeing the other. And it, yeah, I mean, if it, if it had just been chaos, if they were all just like, oh, we're too late, everybody just go, and then Harry and Ron had ended up being late, being the last, and then it worked out that way, like, that would make more sense to me, but it was so structured. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she was like, Ginny and I will go, and then you two come last. <laughs> the child that's not mine, but <laughs> is in my care, mm-hmm. you come last. <laughs> it's very strange. Well, and even if Ron <laughs> goes before Harry... Then, right. yeah. then we we end up with Harry by himself, Harry by and himself. it's not this sort of duo adventure yeah. that we get. So yeah, it is that narratively convenient yes. structuring, I think. Yeah, this is this is a very frustrating decision that gets made. I mean, it very much feels like just twelve year old boys are like leaping to conclusion after conclusion. Mm-hmm. You know, like well, mm-hmm. we can't get through, so they can't get back. Who knows how long it will take them to get back. Let's steal the let's car steal the and ca- drive yeah. it to Hogwarts. Let's wait Precisely. by the car. No, let's just take the car. You know, yeah. it's just yeah, because we're we're not going to be allowed into Hogwarts all year. Our entire lives are in the balance. Tonight. We we must get there. As There's the train no arrives. way for us to communicate with yeah. anybody in the Wizarding World, right? You know? Except for the except for the owl, the owl that I brought with me. I I that that is one of my favorite lines that oh McGonagall God. delivers. Yeah. When he's like, well, I didn't think. Clearly! (laughs) (laughs) Also, this kind of brings up another point. Um, Where do all the parents leave? You know, like they drop off their children and it's like, okay, bye, have fun, you know, and the the ride to Hogwarts. Do they come back through nine and three quarters? Or do they go exit some other way? I think they have to. Because Ron says they won't be able to get back through. Well, that, I mean, that's like, kind of what, you know, brought this question up is shouldn't parents be trying to, to come back through and... Well, they're waiting they're, for the train to leave. Yeah. Harry and Ron don't really give them time to come back. No, they're just they like, let's steal the they car. They just immediately yeah. steal the car. Maybe. But that's but that's part of it is that Harry and Ron, for the plot to develop the way that it does, they have to panic immediately mm-hmm. so that nobody has time to show them, hey, things are okay. 
Yeah. Like, there's actually reasonable courses of action. Right. <laughs> yeah. Did you have something? Yes, I did have another thing. <laughs> so, while they're in this discussion, about to make this totally irrational decision, um, Harry says a weird thing. Okay. On page 69, he says, The Dursleys haven't given, po- oh, given me pocket money for about six years. And that's a specific number of years. So up until I turned six, they were giving me all kinds of pocket money. (laughs) Right. And then they were like, never mind. Because Harry's 12. Yeah. Right? So. I have a theory. Okay. Ooh. I, I thought, because that line always annoys me, because first off, like, did the Dursleys really ever give Harry pocket money? Right. But then why did he say it like that? My theory is that typically magic starts showing itself around six or seven. So maybe once he started, you know, showing this magical prowess, they cut him off. Which makes me <laughs> like, sad because well, I wonder, like, were they teaching him or, like, were they treating him sort of kindly or sort of like oh. their own? And then suddenly it was like magic appears and now we cut you off entirely and treat you badly. I don't know. That doesn't feel like, the. I mean, like, the cutting off feels like sure. the Dursleys. But <laughs> the, ever being know, nice in the first place. Ever being nice in the first place <laughs> right. doesn't feel like the Dursleys. Because he was living in the cupboard under the stairs, we know that for sure. So, yeah. like, what would they give him money for? It just seems strange. Yeah, I, th- I, I thought I so, like too. Your, I like your theory. Maybe it wasn't a regular thing so much as he's remembering the last discreet time they actually gave me pocket money was, when I was, was six, six years ago. It well, wasn't a regular occurrence before that. It just it yeah. happened that once. Right. Yeah. Mm. I remembered it. Okay, so they can't get back. We should wait by the car. No. Oh, no. Let's yes, still I, the car. Yes, I have one other thing. And I think this, this whole scene on page 69 is a great example of why often a little knowledge <clears throat> is far more dangerous than none at all. Hmm. Had Ron had basically no understanding of the restriction of ma- wizarding for underage okay. wizards or whatever, yeah. he would not have thought to himself, well, there's this exception to the rule hmm. under these emergency circumstances or some kind or other, and that's what's going to make it okay for me to do this thing that is definitely a bad idea. But that little bit of knowledge... Hmm. Yeah, That's this is point. an emergency. Waiting for <laughs> waiting five for ten minutes, minutes for yeah. your parents to come back is not an option. I just think it's one of those things, though, where especially as a kid, you just justify any wrongdoing by, like, this will be fine, or this is why this is okay, because you're young and stupid, and, you know, they, they even think they're going to, like, land spectacularly on yeah. the Hogwarts lawn, and every they're not <laughs> going to get in any trouble for this whatsoever. So it's like, I want to do this thing. How can I justify doing this thing? And it's, I mean, he even says, like, restriction whatever of thing. I don't know how he says it exactly. But he's just trying to justify this poor behavior because it's like, this will will be something that gets him that recognition he craves. Mm -hmm. And Fred and George will really like it. Mm -hmm. Because doesn't he say Fred and George have taken it loads of times? Yeah. 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 And so, yeah, it... It, it could very well be the thing that unlocks Ron's fame and notoriety at Hogwarts mm-hmm. and among his brothers. Yeah, that's that's really insightful. But did you guys notice that Ron uses magic to unlock the trunk? I yeah. did notice that, yeah. Raw daylight out on a muggle street. I just think that that shows that kids who live in muggle, or in, sorry, in wizarding families 
are probably using magic regularly <laughs> because it's i think from what we know about this you know the, the restriction for underage wizardry mm. or magic use it's it has to be regulated by parents because Harry gets in trouble for Dobby's spill and any magic that's performed at Privet Drive because he's the only person that can perform magic, he gets blamed for. But, like, if Mrs. Weasley is doing dishes and making, yeah. you know, using magic, I guess, and Ron is unlocking a trunk in his bedroom or something, you know, nobody's going to know. So yeah. they've got to be in there make, you know, they've got to be in there doing something hmm. with magic. Yeah. And I guess because there are so many muggle or so many wizards congregating at King's Cross, he can't get in trouble for this, mm. right? Because yeah, so it doesn't seem like they're tracking specific wands; mm -hmm. they're just tracking the address mm. and any magic that's going on there. Which is another narrative plot device, I think. It's a, it's otherwise it just doesn't make sense, right? Yeah. Mm. But aren't we specifically told that at some point in the stories? That they track the location yes. of the magic. Yes. Yes. Right. But but that's again that's one of those things where you you have to set a as an author a, a narrative limit yeah. on how far the magic can go. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, all sorts of actions mm. become impossible. Right. right. It becomes very difficult to create the sorts of conflicts that make stories fun. Mm -hmm. And we've pointed that out throughout in in these first. Uh, well, first book and a quarter, right? Yeah. Places where magic is given an almost an arbitrary limit in the wizarding yeah. universe because that makes possible certain scenarios mm -hmm. that right. are important later on. Well, if on. they had been tracking Harry's wand, then they would have known that it wasn't him that blew up the, right. the pudding. Right. So, we're still in the car. Mm-hmm. And I think in the, in the movie, oh, they just for take hours. off. They take off fully visible <laughs> in the yeah. movie. Doesn't a muggle, like, look up? Yeah, like, you see oh, yeah, muggles, yeah. like, looking like, up into the sky. And then Harry's like, I should tell you, muggles aren't used to seeing flying cars. And Ron's like, oh, right. And <laughs> then they go invisible. So this was, at least in the book, it was better played off than that. Like, Ron was like, look around. Is anybody watching us? No, there's no one in the street. We're invisible. Let's go up to the, to the cloud cover. So Ron's a little more, I mean, it's still a really stupid idea, but a little more responsible with the execution of it. But then even when they do get up close to the clouds, they realize, oh no, it's the invisibility. It's, yeah, it's it's starting to, to wear off. It's it's popping in and out. And they're saying, oh, we got to get up you know, above the clouds. But then they're saying, oh, we have no way to... <laughs> Immediately, let's go back down yeah, because we don't know where the train is. We don't know where the train is. Get back down. Get back down. Yeah. Which uh, I, I would say that to me is part of not just my critique of the educational system at Hogwarts, but perhaps just the general the education system as we find it in, in general because m most people are not taught geography uh -huh. in schools anymore. And I think this is a tragedy. Um, but we see how it has dire consequences here when obviously a castle that is on the border between England and Scotland is going to be north of London. You don't yeah. need to have some kind of very specific direction to figure out where, where this at, is going to be. At the same time, though, <laughs> you can go due north, but you know, you can't get to that specific oh, point. Oh, no, you're right. You know, I mean, uh, well, I guess. 
you know, you're going to be flying above the clouds, and like, yeah, I guess they do have a compass on right. the yeah, car, which the car. yeah, which is pretty cool. But yes. uh, so you can fly due north, but then you got to say, how do we know when to dip down below the clouds and get to Hogwarts and and all that? So I mean, I get them dipping below every thirty minutes or so. Um, just to see, you know, okay, are we still kind of following the train? And... Totally agree. It's just when they're when they first pull up out of the into the clouds and they're right above London. Mm-hmm. Like, which direction do we go to follow, follow the train? North. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Come on, guys. <laughs> um, can we talk about the functionality of the invisibility booster and like what happens when it goes off? Because it is very complete. Like mm-hmm. everything disappears. They disappear. Right. Everything in the car, which is really cool. And I've forgotten about that because that's not how it works in the movie, really. Mm-hmm. So, like, I, it made me think of the Thestrals later. Like, those that can't see them are just riding in, like, thin air. But, like, they can still see themselves. I don't know what's yeah. worse, really. But, yeah. <laughs> like, just seeing yourself I mean, on nothing. That would be or cool. not Yeah, I mean, I'm just trying to imagine that, like, our listeners, you know, you're up in the clouds... <laughs> And you can't you can't see what you're riding on. You can't see, you know, yourselves. Yeah, you're right. You can't see your your hands yeah. in front of your face. I mean, you're just like flying through the air. I yeah. Mean, and that I, you know, wouldn't that present some problems though? Like, let's say, like for Ron, I guess you know it wouldn't present too many problems. You know, if he's got a his hands on the the steering wheel. But as far as like. You know, if there's things you need to grab in the car yeah. or... Yeah, you know, like, like those there's, toffees. There's toffees in the glove box. Well, yeah. Where's the glove box? <laughs> <laughs> and the toffees are also invisible now. Yeah, and we and can't watch the compass. Heaven because... forbid you have, like, yeah. other, like, inedible sort of wrapped things in the glove box Ooh. and pick the wrong thing. I didn't think of that, Vera. That's a perfect point. Can't watch the compass Maybe the reason why they couldn't orient themselves is because the compass was invisible. It's possible, yeah. That makes that makes a lot of sense. But anyway, it's faulty, so it doesn't last very long. Yeah. But I just thought that was a really cool description. That is Gary wild. just feels like he's just a pair of eyeballs floating up <laughs> in the stratosphere. <laughs> it is a long way to Hogwarts. Yeah. It is a long way to Hogwarts. Looking up, Hogwarts is located in the Highlands of Scotland. Okay. So we're talking north of Scotland. It is a long train ride to get to the border between England and Scotland. And then to go hours further north uh, into the highlands. um, How long do you think, ballpark? I mean, I would... I mean, the Hogwarts Express isn't stopping, you know, in every village and town. So, straight... Oh... I mean, I I think it would be at, at least an eight-hour yeah. train ride. Wow. That's what I'd always kind of felt. It was like seven or eight. Well, it's always dark when they get there, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. When they leave at 11. When they go across the so, boats, it's like nighttime. Yeah. Of course, up in Scotland, it's the summer, but the, the sun doesn't stay up in the sky the same amount of time as it does, yeah. you know, here in the yeah. middle of the United States. Yeah. So... Well, we are north and well, south. Yeah, well, I mean, I was about to okay. say, yeah. We're, in a certain sense, we're in the middle. On the east coast, we're in the middle. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, Did you buy 
find something? Well, just a thing to talk about. Okay. On their way, one of the things that is noted um, before they get, you know, all the way there, um, they mention mm-hmm. snow-capped peaks. Oh, yeah. Well, they're having this... I mean, they describe it as a, a fabulous dream, you know, that, yeah. like, this is awesome. Like, how could I travel any other way but you know, the, the snow-topped peaks, you know. And uh, I understand that, especially during the winter, there will be mm-hmm. snow-capped peaks. But so they're flying September. in early September. And I understand that highlands get quite high. Mm-hmm. But I also, my understanding is that the climate has altered sig- significantly enough that like, by the 1930s, they had stopped really having, like, year-round snow-capped peaks in Scotland. Like, this is not, like, a like a recent climate change thing. Like, the, this has been... So, I did wonder, you know, is that... Do you think that if this is, you know, really what they saw, then perhaps that's... Do you think that's part of, like, the magic? Like, that, like, they keep no. part of the the journey so that, like, properly, magically preserved so that you know people on the train can still experience those beautiful snow-capped peaks that people have for hundreds of years going to hogwarts instead of you know I, however i don't however the mountains see, I, have yeah, I don't see that no i mean okay. i just i think you know i i can't personally speak to it whether there's actually snow-capped mountains what is it in scotland August, september in scotland well jk rowling mm-hmm. is from scotland yeah. so I feel like we should trust her. I'm going to have to trust, yeah, mm. her knowledge on, on the terrain. So I thought it was weird that Harry can see Hogwarts. And I, I mean, I know that he's a student he's at Hogwarts, but it's supposed to have all sorts of, like, protective things around it. But, it, I mean, I get the impression here that he is seeing it from a really far distance. And maybe it's just part of the magic of the castle, but... I it's, thought it was weird he can spot it. Isn't it supposed to look like a ruin? Right. From I mean, I think, it's, I think it's supposed to look like a ruin to muggles, specifically muggles, it says. But you'd still think that, I mean, like, Igor Karkaroff, for example, in book four, they talk about how Hogwarts is hidden and mm-hmm. Durmstrang is hidden. So it's just interesting that from far away, even Harry being a wizard can see it, unless it's, you know, again, part of the, the magic of the castle. It knows it's like that's my student. It can see me, which Aww. just seems weird. I don't know. You know, it's kind of weird. I was reading. I kind of like that idea. I was reading the <laughs> chapter today in the illustrated version, and the castle from afar looks like a tumble-down ruin. Does it? In the illustrated version. Interesting. I thought it was just being like minimalist and cool, but now I'm like, oh, that might have been mm-hmm. purposeful. Yeah. So I mean, it doesn't say you know in the book. It doesn't say. Harry saw the ruin of what Hogwarts. Yeah, it says that he yeah. actually saw like the turrets, the turrets and, and the... Mm-hmm. something else. The turrets and the towers. Yeah, yeah so he's castle. seeing so Hogwarts. Just, you know, well, he's seeing it, but you know they could be ruined. They could be I ruined mean, turrets and towers. Yeah, but I don't think that Harry knows at this point that that no. Hogwarts looks like ruins mm-hmm. from afar. So I think he would have commented. Right. Well, that can't be Hogwarts. Right. What, what happened that? to Hogwarts? What is that? <laughs> <laughs> the devastation. Jeez. Who ruined Hogwarts? Yeah. So, I don't know. I mean, but, we've talked before about the castle kind of being like a character in itself. Mm-hmm. So, potentially that's what it is. But I did think it was kind of weird. Yeah, it probably is that J.K. has not yet decided that you can't see Hogwarts from afar. Yeah. 
So they can see the castle, and one of the things that happens at this point is that the car is a little stressed. Engine begins to whine. The engine's whining. There's steam coming under the bonnet, bonnet. as they say. (laughs) Um, And in general, we're given the impression the car does not feel good. What does this say about enchanted things? Because it sounds like this feels. Yeah. Right? Like, it's almost alive. Yeah. And they they assign it a lot I, of, they, like, human sort of characteristics. I think they do, but I think the first time I read through this, it's hard to think back to that first time, but I don't think I believed or, or thought that, oh, the car's alive, you know, at this time. Um, I thought they were trying to say something, or uh, I thought, you know, with it, they were saying that the... The car was, you know, the engine was starting to die and, you know, like the car was just essentially starting to, I mean, kill off. You know, I mean, it was, uh, I guess my question when reading this was Harry and Ron both do not have practice really with the car that much. And at least it's never, uh, the engines have never turned off while they've been way up in the air. I mean, you got to think about this. Maybe for Harry, since he's not used to flying cars in general, like when this, if this engine does stop, does the car just automatically fall? I mean, or, or does it glide down like a plane, you know, just easily? I, I, I would be thinking that it just plummeted straight sure, like a rock. Straight down. down. I mean, but it, it doesn't seem to do that. No. It kind of um, does that. Well, yeah, that's I, I mean, the nose moment. definitely goes out. It, it's more like a plane and that yeah. right. oh, we've lost our engines, but it, you know, the plane still has wings. Right, so, so it's gliding. It, it's gliding down, but a car does not have wings, but still it's, it is gliding down. And I guess technically the engine still, well, the engine does go off and it's silent. So I, it, where are you getting that it glides down? I mean, it's not falling like a rock. He's able to, to turn the steering wheel, you know, and it's... Yeah, it's know, definitely I, going in kind of like a, a forward motion still mm-hmm. instead of just dropping yeah. flat. Yeah. And right, that, so, so this is what I would say, point two, Crystal. On page 74, it says, um, The nose of the car dropped. They were falling, gathering speed, heading straight for the solid castle wall. Not the ground. Not the ground, right? They were, they were shooting horizontally. Mm-hmm. So they're continuing at least the trajectory. At that least they the had. trajectory that they had. That they forward motion has not stopped. It's not as though the magic died and then canceled out. And it was like, all right, well, all the momentum physically that was driving them forward is now gone. We're just going to plummet horizontally. They keep Vertically. going. Yes, you're right. Sorry. Vertically. Vertically, they kept going horizontally. Thank yeah. you, Matt. Yeah. Um, but I, one thing that bothered me, and I guess it was not an issue because it was never talked about, was fuel. Like, they've been going for eight hours in this car mm-hmm. following the train. And apparently it's magicked in such a way that it doesn't need anything. Hmm. That's what to me makes it feel like it's there's this living quality to it. It's like it gets tired. Like, it had been there working hard for eight hours. And then it needed like a rest or a break or, and because it didn't, it just, it got exhausted. And, and this wouldn't be the first time though, that we've seen a magic object that it displays a lot of oh, human yeah. qualities. Like, yeah. like we're about to see in a moment with the sorting hat, right? The sorting hat has, mm. a, appears with a very strong personality. No. Um, 
Uh, broomsticks aren't quite talked about in that way. There's a little more mechanics to it, but they, there's there's some other things like that where I think I think it's weird. It's weird to think about why a wizard might choose to make a magic object have that sort of lifelike quality mm -hmm. or just let it be more mechanistic. Do you think they mean to? I don't or think is it so. just something in the magic that something is unintended? In, yeah, you I know, think it's that... something in the magic that per sort of makes objects become more personified in a way. Well, the yeah. card definitely has a type of agency. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that becomes clear not only at the end of this chapter, when it opens its doors, boots the guys out, mm -hmm. and goes out to the Forbidden Forest, but later on, yeah. you know, we see the car, in a sense, making decisions yes. and acting in uh, very significant ways. And there are hints of it here, but it, yeah. Yeah, it comes out much more clearly later on, for sure. But yeah, I mean, I think that is a interesting question to raise though i mean was arthur weasley meaningfully you know making the car come alive or i mean all he said was he made the car fly you know mm -hmm. i mean that, that's what he did that's the spell he cast on it and that, is there something about the magic that even wizards can't truly control and it just kind of rubs off and did arthur somehow? even know yeah right. did it yeah. take an extreme situation like this for the car's sentience in a certain way to come to the yeah. surface yeah. it's one of the things that's that's most beguiling about these soft magic systems in fiction where there's where they don't really specify the rules because you it can be so vague mm -hmm. and everybody's okay with letting it be that way and it, it seems in such stark stark contrast to another um piece of fiction i really enjoy uh called foundry side where they really get into the nitty-gritty like that and so like the reason why something might fly, for example, would be because they convinced it of a certain kind of thing. Like maybe the magic in convinced the car that it was a living thing that could fly. Mm -hmm. And so it did, right? And then, you know, we would have an explanation, not just for the flying, but also for why it has these living qualities. Because that's sort of inherent in the nature of the way that it broke that rule. Um, but in, in a soft magic system like this, we don't, we don't get that. Um, and it's fascinating, but yeah, yeah. you just get yeah. the feeling that being touched by magic does something to objects that is more than the spell itself. Right. And so some things, I, I can't help but be reminded of the sword and the stone mm. And then the, the, little, the teacup, the teacup and, the, and, the sugar and the sugar. Yeah. And the sugar is always like, I'm going to keep on, just keep on. <laughs> yeah. And he gets offended if you tell him to stop. Right. Because he's... Wind. Yeah. I should all win. Yes. <laughs> but the, I think the reason that came to mind is because we were talking about uh, things that were larger on the inside than on the outside. Mm. And that always makes me think of Merlin mm. doing his dance and getting all of his luggage and his belongings into that little handbag mm. and yeah i always end up thinking of doctor who yes but <laughs> it's very british of you one question i had um these guys are flying above the clouds mm. and we're told that they've got to take off their sweaters and harry's t-shirt is sticking to the back of his seat and his glasses keep sliding down to the end of his sweaty nose and i'm thinking 
in a Ford Anglia at that kind of elevation, it's going to be intensely cold. <laughs> You're yeah. right. Like, why? You're entirely it's correct. not it's like it's not like we're closer to the sun. Oh gosh, it's hot. <laughs> it's like we're we're getting to the upper parts of the atmosphere. Man, not, it's cold. Not it's, only that, but I mean, I, I was going to just let this pass, uh, but oh, we let nothing we pass. Okay. Matthew. but I, I guess I'll bring it up now. They're up high enough, I believe, that the air is pretty thin. Exactly. Up there. How are they breathing? I thought that was why they were laughing so much. Because they were <laughs> lack, yeah, lack of oxygen. They are short on oxygen, oh, no. and they are starting to lose it. And then every time, eight things, hours later, eight hours later, they come down. Maybe there was, in fact, a fuel gauge that was going off, and it was just funny until they start to crash. Yeah, it seems like there's almost a in the childishness of this chapter and the first couple of books, really, until we get to book three. It's, it's like there's almost a different sort of cosmological arrangement. Mm. Like the structure of the universe means that the higher you go towards the sun, the hotter it gets. Right. Mm. And there is air up there, and you can breathe. And, and we're not, we're not going to worry about these sophisticated sort of atmospheric conditions. We're just going to tell a good story. Yeah. Well, I think what that moment does is it... It sort of takes them out of their like beautiful little reverie where they're like, we stole a flying car, ha ha ha, we're up above the clouds, it's beautiful. Mm. And now they're feeling the discomfort and like, oh, I wish we were on the train, we could be buying pumpkin juice, we made a huge mistake kind of thing. Like they're suffering for the Well, they surely they would made. have suffered in that way if they lost if oxygen and were <laughs> sure. freezing to death. Sure. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> I'm not they would have also said, man, that train sounds nice right now. <laughs> I wish I could breathe. Yeah, it was so yeah. warm. Yeah, I'm not I'm not negating that. I'm just saying that, you know, they're obviously, that, that's what the moment is doing, is yeah. that they're feeling yeah. uncomfortable, and right. they're regretting their rash decision, and then they're finally, starting. They're starting to come to their senses, right? Right, a little bit. Like, ooh, maybe this was not the best idea. But not in had. a sort of life-threatening manner. No. Until we start to plummet towards the castle wall. I just want to go back to the personifying the car really quick because yeah. I was just thinking, I do that to my own car. Sure. I don't know if you guys do, but I like... I talk to objects all the time. Yeah, well, people... my car, like, has a name. I yeah. call him Henry because he's a Ford. Oh. Yeah, I know. Um, so, Henry Ford, and I, when he hits, like, a pothole or something, I, like, tap him just like Ron does to the dash. He's like... Oh, sorry, just keep going a little bit longer, buddy. I mean, I do that to my car all the time. So, I, I, I just wanted to point that out. That I think that this is a completely normal thing that people treat their cars yes. kind of like a person. Sure. Because yeah, you're I in think, them all the I time. I think the treatment <laughs> right. and the, like, coaxing, I feel like that's a normal human thing to do. Yeah, the it's, car doesn't typically respond. Sure, right. yeah. <laughs> when it responds later, that's a little bit weird. <laughs> yeah, it's less, less typical. Right, yeah, talking just... Not for talking. kids to talk to imaginary friends is perfectly normal. For imaginary friends to talk back <laughs> is That's a little bit different. Normal, right? <laughs> so, okay. So, we're we're crashing. We're crashing. Stop, what? stop, he yelled, whacking the dashboard and the windshield. <laughs> Here's where Ron breaks his wand. But they were still plummeting mm -hmm. and the ground <laughs> the ground flying up toward them. Watch out for that tree. 
Yeah. I've got to say rotten luck. You know, I mean, I know they say it in the, the chapter, but we actually land in the one tree that... The one tree. The one tree that, that's yeah. going to fight back when we land in <laughs> that it. That is a great line. Right next to the Forbidden Forest. All these trees to choose from. But, like, can you read the crash, the actual, like, moment of the crash where they okay. hit the tree? Watch out for that tree, Harry bellowed, lunging for the steering wheel, but too late. Crunch! An ear-splitting bang of metal on wood. They hit the thick tree trunk and dropped to the ground with a heavy jolt. How did they not die? <laughs> At full speed, falling out of the sky and hitting a From tree above the trunk. clouds. <laughs> Who knows how many thousands of feet they're plummeting? I mean, they like, had dipped below the clouds about, to find Hogwarts, though. Talk about the, like, wrapping <laughs> your you. car around a telephone pole. This is so much worse. This is a Ford... And they're not even injured. Yeah. Well... Well, there is a golf it's ball size one. But they're bruised by the tree, not <laughs> no, by the crash. The tree, not by the crash. Uh, I think this this, this also I would have to attribute to Arthur Weasley. Just in the same way that he didn't seem to tell Molly about all the improvements and changes he Molly made on the car. about how incredibly safe this car is. He may also have made some changes for improvements in durability. It's and basically a tank. Do whatever you want. Given... His own children and their propensities, I would understand why Arthur Weasley would enchant this vehicle to be as safe as an Abrams tank. I mean, yeah, I just, reading that, this was the Still, though, you are not going to convince me that Harry Potter did not suffer a concussion. Agreed. Getting a golf ball-sized lump on his throbbing head from a windshield. A windshield, y'all. Harry Potter survived the Avada Kedavra curse. I'm just yes, going to point okay. that out. But yes. also, he passes out all the time for no reason. Just not when no his scar hurts, though. But, like, maybe, not a but, physical no, out. But maybe those are the ramifications of the concussion. So, you, so, <laughs> so, I, so think, he got I think we're on to something. So maybe. <laughs> it wasn't treated. <laughs> so, it's not a connection with Voldemort, no. buddy. You should have come to the hospital. <laughs> yes. It's an it. untreated concussion. Oh, it's not. It's boy. not dark magic. He just you has severe brain contusions. <laughs> oh, that's so sad. <laughs> okay, so. So we crash into the tree, and then the tree proceeds to crash into us. Yes. Right? Um, yes. Read some descriptions of the tree. Well, they ask each other if they're okay, and that's when Ron finds out that his wand had been, uh... Broken in half. Snapped. Yeah. Yep. And that's going to be a feature for the rest of this book. Yeah. Um. Spoilers. Harry opened his mouth to say he was sure they'd be able to mend it at school, but he never got started. At that very moment, something hit the side of the car with the force of a charging bull, sending him lurching sideways into Ron, just as an equally heavy blow hit the roof. What happened? Uh, Ron gasped, staring through the windshield, Harry and Harry looked around just in time to see a branch as thick as a python smash into it. The tree they had hit was attacking them. Yeah. Its trunk bent almost double, and its gnarled bows were pummeling every inch of the car it could reach. I've always appreciated the way the movie depicted this, because it really does make the tree look violent. Yeah. But even there, it reinforces, in some sense, the unbelievability of it. Because if 
a tree that looked like that made contact with a human being, <laughs> let alone a twelve-year-old. Right. Dead. Oh, you ain't, yeah, yeah, you ain't dead. getting up out of that. Yeah. You yeah. know, it's that. The flying you're done. glass. Dead. So dead. At yeah. which point, once again, you ask, who whose decision was it to plant a violent tree on the grounds? And they don't know about it. They've been yeah. in the school for a year. I mean, no poor, one's mentioned. Poor, don't like, go near yeah. the willow. A poor first year walks. Oh, look at this. <laughs> look at this tree. I'm like. You know, they're they're it's springtime. They got a camera for Christmas. I'm gonna take pictures of this I'm tree. Sit under you know, this tree no, I'm no, you're gonna die. That thing is going to smash you into the ground. How many first years have died from the Whomping Willow? There's probably a sign or something sitting out there. Like, remember Dumbledore's his announcements for the first years? Yes, right. Like Nitwit Blubber. No. No! Say, the Whomping Willow will kill you. Do not get within 50 yards of it. Oh You're totally so right. You're totally right. You. Please just follow the prefects around. <laughs> don't, just don't leave your don't bedroom. Wander. Don't go to the unrestricted section, to the restricted section of the library. Don't go to the forest. And do not ever touch the willow tree. That needs to be somebody's job. That needs to be one guy's job, is just to list it's, off all the places. It's supposed to be Filch's job. But he's just going around doing who knows what. Anyway. Well, at least the the car is thinking here and actually says, I'm going to get out of Dodge. At least get out of the, the, the Whomping Willow. Well, get out of Ford. Get out of Ford. Uh, <laughs> oh, that's nice. I like it. So the engine turns back on. Yeah, engine turns back on. The car's not dead. And that's when, you know... Harry you know, yells reverse and yes, the car shoots backwards. Shoots back and... So the car has chosen to listen to Harry. Yeah, and then finally they get out of reach of the tree. And this is when we do realize that the car has become alive. I mean, <laughs> I guess it was alive this, this whole time. But ejecting them from the seats and ejecting their trunks from the trunk uh, of the car. And... I actually, this is another point in the movie. I I like how they do it in the movie as mm-hmm. well. Except for where, the sound effects, I don't love the sound yeah, effects. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. But yeah, it's uh, I mean, just ejecting them from the uh, the seats is it's a funny scene. I mean, and yeah. again, this is when you really do see the car come alive. It's its yeah. own character now, and it is very canine. At at least in the movie, right? It it goes off and it's almost like a dog. Yeah. yeah. Um. I'm not sure that description comes through in the book. No. But I, I now cannot help but visualize the agency of the car as being similar to a really large, affectionate, but also stubborn mm. dog. Mm. It's funny to me that as they're like getting their bearings, Ron miserably bends down to pick up scabbers. And I'm thinking, what is Peter Pettigrew thinking right now? <laughs> <laughs> like he's thinking, uh, I'm not sure if this is worth it. <laughs> I am, I am, you know, I'm a rat. I've been a rat for like ten years. I'm with this wizarding family. I'm trying to keep my ear to the ground, but man, this is gonna kill me. I I think he's thinking. I got through this again. <laughs> well, I mean... escaped death. 
But he <laughs> time knows how to, five thousand. Yeah, he knows about the little knot on the willow, but he was in a cage and so couldn't do anything yeah. about it. Like, Scabbers is looking out the window like, "Oh, you have got to be kidding me! <laughs> <laughs> I have been down this road before." <laughs> oh wow. Mm. Well, okay. well I guess they point. finally made it to Hogwarts we and they said, all right, can you believe our luck? You know, we didn't yeah. die. All right, let's 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 get up to the school. Not the triumphant entrance they were hoping for. But they at least had the consolation of not seeing Snape That's... at the head table. Oh, yeah. Which was all kinds of good signs, <laughs> apparently. Sick. Maybe he got sacked. <laughs> Maybe he's right behind you uh-huh. listening to everything That's, you That said. is a great... Yeah, yeah a great a little bit. sequence right there. And of course, even though this is a warm September night. Oh, I love this. Cool breezes, yeah. cold breezes come to billow, to billow Snape's cape. black cape. So Shoulder length black hair. Alan Rickmaning. Oh, so good. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. So they're in a lot of trouble. They are. They went and past they- the tasty food and down to the dungeons. To Snape's office, which I think the first time we've been in Snape's office. Which are in the dungeons. Which are, yeah, obviously. Everything he does is in the dungeons. So. Snape, of course, believes the worst. Yes. He he believes that Harry is being James. Mm-hmm. Um, and trying to make an entrance. Uh, of course, you know, that did enter their minds. Good. Yeah, it did enter their minds. But one of the frustrating things about Snape, especially early on in the books, and, and maybe it never stops, but especially early on in the, in, the, uh, in the first couple of books, is that whenever there's a reasonable explanation, he uses his authority to stop that explanation in its tracks. Silence. Yeah. I'll tell you what you were doing. You won't. You won't give any sort of explanation to me. And even to this day, reading that, it it makes me so angry. Mm. Yeah. Um, that he won't listen, uh, but he will instead use his authority in a way to stop the truth from coming out so that he can continue believing the worst. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, they guess they find out that... Uh, what they've done is not only something, you know, to themselves. I mean, it's it's also they have a, a, an evening prophet, an issue of the evening prophet, and says that uh, muggles have spotted them, you know, and that I get I don't know how many six or seven muggles in all mm-hmm. had spotted them up in the sky, and so they realize that now this is going to look really bad for Mister Weasley mm-hmm. because he's in charge of the misuse of Muggle artifacts office. And here is, right there, uh, one of his sons using a flying car, which is a misuse of Muggle artifacts. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, it's not looking good for him. And, uh, I mean, you don't even know what the ramifications could be of this. Like, he could lose his job for this. We don't know. Instead, it's worse. He gets fined, like, a bunch of money. Yeah. Which, obviously, they don't have. They don't have. So. Yeah. Yeah, but I think this is, I mean, obviously, the boys were like, oh, rotten luck, you know, we got beaten up in the car, ran away, dad's going to kill me, that kind of thing. This is the first time they realize what they've done was a really horrible decision that has consequences beyond what they could have mm-hmm. 
thought yeah. possible. But then his dad could lose his job and they could be expelled. Yeah, well, then uh, yeah, Snape brings up being expelled, and then for especially Harry, that's when you know. I mean, they said he they go white faced, yeah. hungry. Or Harry did not feel hungry anymore. Yeah. He now felt extremely sick. He realizes, oh, this was not a good thing that we've done. Like if I get expelled, then I'm going back. To live with the Dursleys. Live with the Dursleys. So, I mean, this is something that that could have huge ramifications for his life. Right. Of course, Professor McGonagall comes in. And whereas Snape's refrain has been silence, the first word we hear from her after sit is explain. The Mm. opposite of the command for silence is the command... To tell me what circumstances led to this decision. It's such a relief. Mm-hmm. Even in the midst of um, the description that Professor McGonagall had never been seen this angry before. And yeah. she got pretty angry last year. Um, her response is to ask for the truth to be told. Uh, and even if it was an unwise decision, she wants to hear what prompted that decision. And and for me, reading it, it's just a relief to hear a sort of fair, mm-hmm. just response to the situation. Yeah. And then Dumbledore comes in, and they have to tell the story again. Mm-hmm. Um, and I... I like how they put in that Harry Harry's trying in some ways to shield Arthur as mm-hmm. much as he can. Like, oh, we just found a magical car in the Muggle <laughs> Alley and then we <laughs> took it to Hogwarts. Just happened to know how to fly it and all that. Um, which I would love to hear, like, how that was worded. But Dumbledore, I mean, Dumbledore does, yeah, he doesn't, doesn't mention it. it. Doesn't, yeah. doesn't ask about it because I think he knows. Sure. Um, <laughs> Anyone, though, with children at a certain point has had an explanation like this where you ask your child, how did this happen? And they sort of, they, it's almost like they go um, limp and they're like, I I don't know. It, it, I don't know. It sort of happened by itself, you know? And it's like, do you actually think that I am believing you right now? And, And Harry knows like the, the key details that I'm living at, leaving out about who is responsible for this. Dumbledore sees straight through in a very sort of parental way. Well, I guess they find out that, you know, you're going to expel us, aren't you? And uh, Dumbledore says, not today, Mr. Weasley, Mm -hmm. which is a huge sigh of relief. Did anyone else think that, I guess, like Harry, he thought this himself, that they got off really light? They got off super light. No points. Yeah. No points taken. And one detention. One detention each. That's nothing. That is yeah. nothing. By book five, it's like 50 points from I know. Gryffindor for sneezing in my class. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, yeah, and, and you know. And I'm, and I'm going to write to your parents. Like, for yeah. Ron, I think that's the worst thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to write to your parents. And but. Harry's like, I mean, the Dursleys were yeah, probably whatever. pissed they're gonna that be dis- <laughs> Yeah, they're disappointed. killed. <laughs> Haha, ha, y'all probably don't know this, but my parents are dead. We are very yeah. disappointed that you didn't die here. <laughs> <laughs> Try again harder next time. 
All right, so they actually get something to eat, a large plate of sandwiches. It keeps and refilling It keeps itself. refilling. I was thinking, oh, that's, a, that's pretty one. sweet. Mm. <laughs> um, you have a wife. That does happen for you. Okay, yeah, well, she does fix me some sandwiches. <laughs> it just doesn't that's, happen that's, that's magically. Nice. doesn't happen magically. <laughs> so, and then they, oh, they find out that Ginny was sorted into Gryffindor. Big surprise. Big surprise there. And then, and then they oh, were then instructed we to go straight up straight to, to the, dormitory. the dormitory. But they realize they don't have the password because they haven't seen any prefix. They meet Hermione. And then there's Hermione. Who's looking just like McGonagall. Is very angry with yes. them. Um, but then they finally get into Gryffindor house. And then they get... That greeting, you know, that they were hoping to get, I, I guess, when mm -hmm. they started this whole adventure. Um, and they were kind of feeling bad about it, but, you know, they, they still, I think, inside were smiling that, you know, everybody's clapping them on the back and cheering and wanting to, to talk to them. And, I mean, for a, a teenager, like, this is, this is huge. Yeah. This is big. This is Especially that variety. Fred and George are kind of jealous. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm hmm And so only Percy and Hermione seem frustrated by it but we escape up to the boys dormitory which i thought was interesting they keep their same dormitory forever right yeah right. And they just changed the sign on the door yep. to say second year i was i was wondering that as well do does the sign just change and they yeah. get to stay in, in a sort of room. constant space that's kind of nice well, one of the things i think that strikes me about that then is that there really must be quite an equality of spaces yeah. then mm -hmm. I mean, because yeah. that means really that those first years aren't really getting a different, like lower level of experience. Well, yeah, I don't know how you go up from four poster bed. Those well, are I don't nice. Know. I, I don't. I mean, what? I guess they don't have televisions or something like that. But it's <laughs> well, like they don't. They, I mean, I know they don't have an Xbox right. or right. whatever. But in the movies, yeah. they right. keep the same rooms and they actually mm -hmm. keep the same beds mm -hmm. and it, it's interesting at the movie studios outside of london they talked about how they built the four poster beds for when they were 11 years old oh. so by the sixth movie when they're filming in the dorm room you've got basically grown men yeah. and they have to shoot it in such a way that you don't realize that these grown men could never sleep in the <laughs> tiny beds that they had they built, built for, the for the set. And so that's something to keep an eye out for. But it, it's yeah. interesting and it's related to this sort of consistency of the rooms and the furniture oh that gosh. the movie makers built the set for 11-year-old sized people. And then they have to film when they're 17. Yeah. Wow. Well, perhaps that's part of the magic of Hogwarts. That the room the magic stays of the movie same. making. <laughs> the room stays the same, but they grow as the... You know, you're like... You're right. An eleven-year-old kid doesn't need that long of a bed, but by the time they're in, they're seventeen, eighteen years old, they're gonna need a bigger bed than an eleven-year-old. But if the room is staying exactly the same, you're gonna have to get that wizarding tent, Ford Anglia magic. That's exactly right. Have a bigger <laughs> that, space on the inside. That, than that's on a the bigger outside. bed on the I'm inside than on the outside. To your four poster. I, this is what I actually thought of when I found out that they slept in the same room. I was thinking about students in the future, you know, having that same room or perhaps even that same bed of being like, I'm sleeping in the bed 
that Harry Potter slept mm. in mm. for seven years. You know, yeah. I, I mean, and who knows how many great witches and wizards have gone through. You know, do they have like little plaques or something on the bed? Like they carved their yeah, yeah, yeah they carved their initials, yeah, something like that. That could have been a cool thing to, to put in there that I don't believe she does. You know that's there, exactly what he did. He definitely, he definitely a does that. He doesn't use initials. He just carves his cool scar lightning bolt in there. Harry was here. I just want to go back really quick to the sorting hat scene where, or where they're watching the sorting and Jenny has been sorted into Gryffindor because I think it's important that she points out again, like Harry remembers that the sorting hat almost put him in Slytherin because for this book, he's often... Mm-hmm accused i guess of being mm-hmm. the heir of mm-hmm. slytherin so i just thought it was interesting that she chose to have him reminisce about that because it kind of for me at least i think it almost makes you doubt harry like is he the heir right. of slytherin is he the one doing this and we just don't know it mm-hmm. so i thought that that was a a really cool thing for her to do in this chapter this yeah. was i think that was alluded to also earlier with the description of one of the bows of the tr- of the Wampum Willow Bow. being bows being like a python, mm-hmm. which I feel like was an allusion both to earlier, mm. first book, when python was sort of his, well, one means of disruption in the very beginning of the story, mm. and then we see this python image again, and then of course a very large snake like thing is about play. to come into play. Um, in a significant yeah. way. She also mm-hmm. describes the Hogwarts Express as a scarlet snake. Yeah, she did. There's been a lot of snake imagery. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Look at oh, that. Sneaky JK. Sneaky snake. Snaky JK. Sneaky. What's interesting, though, is she throws that detail in, along with all of the other details, mm-hmm. in a page almost purely devoted to exposition. Every year, this aged old hat you know, would go mm. on the top and sort people into their houses. And it's like, okay, this is for if you forgot what happened in book one, she's catching you up. But you get the detail slipped in, in really expertly about Harry was afraid he was going to be put into Slytherin. Mm-hmm. And that's something that stays with us as that doubt keeps getting raised. I also think it's interesting that at a narrative level, this chapter ends with the relief of very minimal punishment and then the applause of classmates. Mm -hmm. Mm. Which leads us to say, as readers, and for them as characters, all's well that ends well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Out of sight, out of mind. We're not Mm -hmm. thinking about it anymore because the ramifications aren't extending on into the future. And so we're not asking the question, what in the world happened at Platform 9 and Mm -hmm. 3 quarters? And that's a question that only comes to the fore again Later on, um, as we're forced to think, what was it that caused this very strange plot point to unfold? Mm. But their lack of questioning about it is believable to us because the joy of it all by the end of the chapter has left us not questioning it Mm. either. Mm -hmm. We don't mind that they're not hung up on it. And I think that's a really, really well-crafted distraction that she often gives us. We've pointed out throughout that where there are really key moments in the plot, often the next sentence is humor or some sort of sleight of hand that gets us thinking about something else. 
And so we remember the detail, but it's not pressing in our minds. And and I I think she does that at the end of this chapter as well. I have something else. I know we've talked about it before, but it bothers me every time I read it. So um, Hogwarts is so small. They they talk about uh, the other uh, Gryffindor Mm -hmm. boys. The other second-year Gryffindor boys. So there are five of them total. Ron, Harry, Seamus, Dean, and Neville. There are five. So we're going to assume with symmetry that there are five second-year girls in Gryffindor. That means ten. And then let's say that happens in every house. There are 40 second-year students. That's it. So it's only 280 students in the whole school. And this is supposed to be the wizarding school for all in the of UK. Britain. Yeah. Ireland, Wales, Scotland, England. Is the Wales, community that small? Scotland, England. Or are, like, millions of wizards being homeschooled? Like, <laughs> what is happening with the wizarding education? I, I, it just baffles me every time they're, like, the other second-year Gryffindor boys. I just don't think like, we can assume it's even, though. I don't, I, because, I mean, what if there are 15 Hufflepuffs and only five Gryffindors? Or even more than that? Yeah. I mean, we, we can't just assume it's even, I don't think. Sure, but even... Hufflepuff is the catch-all. There are actually, <laughs> like, 30. 612 yeah. Hufflepuff second years. It's... It's pretty incredible. I'd, yeah. I'd believe that. <laughs> so I, I just get the impression that there are a lot more people than that. Yeah, I, but, that's the impression that we get, but I don't know. It just doesn't seem like they would be that disparate. Like, mm-hmm. You know, that there would yeah. be five Gryffindor boys in second year, and then like 30 Gryffindor boys. Especially since boys. everyone who's ever read Harry Potter's like, I'm a Gryffindor. It's right. Like, okay, there's okay. only five. Yeah, there's only five. <laughs> there's only five. There <laughs> can only be five. a little more elite than that. Yeah, you're probably a Hufflepuff. <laughs> That's Listeners, if you think Alex. you're a Gryffindor, you're a Hufflepuff. <laughs> this is it's just the way it is. Yeah, I don't, I just... And we'd be happy to have you. Yes. <laughs> All the Hufflepuffs. Yeah, I don't know. It just, it, even if it's uneven. No, even if there's 600. Yeah. It's that's only 600 so magical children. That is the whole UK wizarding no. community. Of children that are aged 11 to 17. With families that are, that have continued to expand and grow as the generations have gone on. And we're apparently in the same size castle housing these students as when it was built. Yeah. I mean, I, I have no, I have no qualms with believing that Hogwarts could be bigger on the inside than it is on the outside and house as many students as it need to. But it's not. It's it's a very small student body. It's just very, I don't know, strange to me. And if, so, if we didn't know that it was the only, you know, like if, if there were lots of other schools, then that would be like, Or okay. like community wizarding colleges. Sure. Sure. Something. A public school system in addition yeah. to this private school system. Do we know that it's the only one? Well, there's sure. There's only, we're only ever introduced three. Right. Four once we get post canonical. Yeah, right, but is it does it ever say that this is the only one? Because I think I'm just thinking of in book four when <laughs> Harry's like, Well, obviously there are other places that educate people, he'd never really thought about it, but I don't recall anywhere where it just says Hogwarts is 
the only wizarding school. I'm going to try to find it, because I thought we were explicitly told it at some point. I, we I might like be, and I just if, don't If there but. was another wizarding school in England, I mean, as much as we deal with the Ministry of Magic and things like that, I feel like we would have heard of it. Maybe. maybe I, I really do. I mean, because it would be like, oh, you went to Hogwarts? You know, well, we went to... Snaugerstout. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I mean, mm-hmm. some. Yes. yes, in Britain, Hogwarts is the only school of magic. However, there are other options for witches and wizards to educate their kids: homeschooling or sending them out of country. So you to Durmstrang. Durmstrang Yeah. So if or, you're a hardcore Slytherin, yeah, all the way. Go ahead. Straight, we just go straight to Durmstrang. Durmstrang. Yeah. Which makes you wonder why there are Slytherins at Hogwarts. When you could just go straight to Durmstrang. Durmstrangs look at Slytherins like the varsity look at the JV. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, oh, you're Slytherins? That's cute. We're, right. Our entire school is Slytherin. Right. And then, like, how pretty is your daughter? Could she, ha- could she hang at Bo Batten's? Let's try it. <laughs> Although, I feel like, and correct me if I'm wrong, and this is way in the future, but I did not get the impression when I read the books that that was a boys' school and a girls' school. Right. No, no. In fact, Bo Bobaton is what I generally call it. Yeah, I did too um, until they said Bobatons in the movies. Um, Bobatons, they have male students mm-hmm. in yeah. the books. Right. I remember there being boys. Yeah. yeah. Just also but- super pretty ones. I don't remember. Well, well, and the, just, and the girls really. at oh, Durmstrang will beat you up. Are yes. there girls at Durmstrang? I don't know. But okay, I, I figured say, if I... there's boys at Bobaton, then... I don't recall there ever them ever talking about girls at Durmstrang, but there are mm. definitely boys at Bobatons. So anyway, a lot of people are homeschooling, but the Weasleys aren't. Right. Well, there are seven of them currently in the house including molly and arthur so it's just they're tripping over each other on the stairs they've got to get them out (laughs) (laughs) but i don't know it just seems to like if we're assuming that there's tuition to hogwarts i'm sure it's a financial hardship for the weasleys to send so many of their children there of all the families that we've met they seem like the one that would be homeschooling because mrs weasley doesn't work so it's just surprising to me and if the weasleys aren't than the Lovegoods, you would think. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, oh, yeah. What is Luna doing? <laughs> all day long. I mean... <laughs> Why are these people at Hogwarts? I love them, but I... Yeah, if that's an option, what are they doing here? Interesting. Well, I think we've definitely stayed on topic <laughs> for this chapter. And now we're going to wrap it up. So... Dear listeners, thanks for sticking with us. It was a fun chapter devoted to the escapades with the Ford Anglia and the Whomping Willow. We want to remind you, you can send email comments or questions to us at hpbcfanmail at gmail.com. We would love to hear you. And as always, Mischief Mischief managed. Managed. I want to just remind you, you can always email us at hpbcfanmail at gmail.com or get in touch with us or follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Our handle is at hpbcpodcast. We love to hear from folks. And if you call in, nope. (laughs) Email. (laughs) 